Never trust a pastor when he walks up on stage with a box, right? <laughs> what is in there? This wasn't with me in the first service, so you guys get something uh, a little different. Uh, I'm not going to put that on the altar. So we'll, we'll show you that in a second. So um, you just got to have to wonder, right? What, what is that? Uh, my name is Aiden. I'm the associate pastor of Outreach, also media director here. Um, so today I have the privilege of bringing the word into uh, preaching uh, this morning. Uh, we're continuing our series of Rebuild, right? experiencing the restoration of God. So uh, the last, actually, two, uh, a week and a half ago, I had the, the privilege of speaking to the Awake Student Ministry. Uh, so I had to think of my thoughts, okay, how do I connect with middle school students? Uh, today, I'm here with you all in first and second service, a variety of generations from young kids who are here through our, our, our um, older generations as well. And then this next week, uh, talking about sports camp coming up, another plug for that, uh, my wife and I will be the storytellers. Uh, so this is really what this box is. This is a preview of coming attractions to say, like, hey, you might actually really want to drive by and see what's going on. And why in the world do we have a hat like this? It's my style, right? It fits. No, no. Okay, well, no, 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 no that one. Then maybe, well, th this will be used. I don't even think this one fits me. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, so we've got, we've got that. And then, of course, we've got the Western. Uh, that, that, there we go. That's it. So, so this is sports camp. This is a preview of sports camp. Uh, we'll see. Maybe this will tie in later on uh, to the message here. Maybe not. Um, but, but this is what my wife and I, so we've been uh, having... It's been hot, right, in the past couple days. We open our doors and windows at night, and then that's right when we start practicing for sports camp. And, um, yeah, so all these crazy, we're, we're singing these crazy songs and doing weird things, and we're, I think it was the other night, I was like, I hope our neighbors don't hear us. I wonder what they're, uh, anyways, but who knows. So, Rebuild, experiencing the restoration of God. Two weeks ago, Pastor Aaron kicked this off, uh, just talking about how life doesn't always go up into the right but God is with us, both in the mountaintop experiences and in the valleys. And then last week, he talked about rebuilding in humility, right? how we have to have less, less emphasis on the temporary, the things of this world, and more emphasis on the eternal, less on ourselves and our efforts, and more on God's work, less emphasis on, on control and things turning out the way exactly that we think they should be, and more on collaboration and the work of how God is moving among us. And I really feel like last week's message of rebuilding in humility is a doorway into today's message of rebuilding in confidence. And it's like, what do you mean? How do, how do you have confidence and yet humility? Like, what, what are these things? And, and really, what the, the whole point of the message for today is that our confidence is not in ourselves, and it cannot be in ourselves but rebuilding in confidence is firmly placing our confidence in God and in him alone, that he will do what only he can do. So a little bit uh, more about myself, aside from, you know, wearing weird hats next week. Um, I have been a bit of a, a DIY or home improvement kind of guy. And um, if anyone else is, any else kind of do projects on your own and try and figure things out, uh, a couple people around here, all right. Yeah, sometimes that's a great thing. And sometimes it can go terribly wrong, right? It just does not work out well, or it just takes way longer than you thought it was. You know, I, I always hear this, measure twice and then cut once. Well, I measure twice, and then I cut, and, and, and then I measure again just to make sure I'm like, how did I get this wrong? And then I look, oh, I had the wrong number, you know, or I read my tape measure wrong. So, so uh, I've also, uh, you know, I was 
finishing our basement at our old house and like, okay, cutting the studs to go up and down. I was like, take it, take it to the saw, cut it the right length. Say, oh, it's too long. Oh, I just got to shave off a little bit. Take it back to the saw, cut a little bit more. Oh, it still doesn't fit. Like, I, I swear there's one board that I must have cut five times before I finally just took a hammer and like pounded that thing in there. So it doesn't always go well. Um, I also, my wife and I, we had the privilege of, of taking these wonderful talents that we have in building, not at all, uh, but down to Peru with the Esperanza de Ana. This was back about 2008 or so, the, the Hannah's Hope Orphanage. We were helping, uh, we were there for a week uh, to do some construction, also did some VBS in the uh, afternoon with kids there. And we, uh, I was put on a crew to put up drywall. And uh, we were con doing construction with drywall. I'd never done that before. I said, hey, I've never done that before. We're like, well, we've got, this guy knows what he's doing. We'll go ahead, and he can show you what, what's going on. So we get up to the room, and we look around. It's like, oh, there's already drywall in this room. What, what are we doing here? And I said, well, yeah, the first team that did it, they left all these big gaps that are too big to fill in with the, with the mud. So we got to do it again. They're going to have to rebuild this thing. So we took out all the screws, took down the drywall, and we said, okay, maybe we can use this piece over here, or maybe we can try to figure it out, get some new uh, materials in there. Uh, about time to break the, for lunch. We're like, hey, we got this. We did this. We, we completed the project. Go us. And the supervisor comes in, and he looks around, and he starts pushing on. He's like, never seen anybody hang drywall like that. Starts pushing on the walls. He's like, what's behind this seam? Like, what do you mean, what's behind the seam? It's like, well, you have to have the seams on the studs. It's like, oh. <laughs> no one ever told me that. <laughs> so, so there was the second time that we did this room. We had to tear the drywall out. I had to redo it a third time. See, we were, we were building in our own confidence of like, hey, I think we can figure this out. We know what we're doing. Instead of in humility looking to someone who knows more than we know, in humility looking to someone uh, who, who has experience, looking to someone uh, who has plans for us. And similarly, as we move through this season, as we look to the, to the future of what we have, instead of saying, hey, I think I've got this all figured out, we're saying, hey, it has to look this certain way. But instead, maybe we can in, conf in humility turn and said, say, in confidence we know that God has this figured out. We know in confidence that, that he has a plan that he is going to fulfill, that he is going to use this current time for his glory. So today, let's take a look in Scripture and what it has to say for us on how do we reframe our thoughts? What do we do? How do we get from a posture of having confidence in ourselves that we can do this, or a posture of like, I, I just don't know what I'm doing. I have a lack of confidence to putting my confidence fully in God. And this is what we'll see. We'll be in uh, the, the book of Hebrews today, looking at chapter 10, starting in verse 32. So I'm going to pray again. It'll give you a moment to turn to um, chapter 10 in Hebrews, and uh, we'll pray for us again, and then we'll jump into the scripture. So God, we thank you that you are our wonderful, merciful Savior. God, we thank you that Gosh, that, that, that your thoughts are so far above our thoughts and so much higher than us. That you have a perspective that sees the future that we don't have, God. So help us to lift our eyes to see what you see. Help us to reframe our thoughts, to think on your goodness and your faithfulness. Help us to, to, to remold our hearts to treasure what it is that, that you have given us in Christ. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in chapter 10 of Hebrews. 
And it says this, verse 32, it says, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So the author here writing to the church saying, like, look, when you guys first became believers, you experienced trials. And here in the United States, so much of us, we don't experience the same type of suffering. We don't experience being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. You know, sometimes maybe we might have some, some make fun of us for our faith, but that's about the worst of it. But yet here these believers, that their lives were on the line. And yet, what did they do? They endured and how did they endure? And this is the, the, first, the first point here in the context of the, of the Hebrews that have faced trials in their past and that they're going to be facing them. They're actually facing them again, as we'll see in a moment. And how, how did they do this? How did they face these trials? And he said, he's, he's encouraged them. He says, what do you got to do? You need to recall the former days. You need to remember the past. And what do we do when we're remembering the past? Well, this is the first point, is that we remember the past and we constantly are rehearsing in our mind God's faithfulness. So first point, how are we going to rebuild in confidence? How do we replace our confidence in God and off of ourselves? It's like, well, we need to remember what God has done. Remember who he is and what he's done. And this is, this is what we see, the pattern in the Old Testament that these believers would have had. That, that they, they remember in the Old Testament that the altars that they would build or stones that they would set up. I, I think of, of Joshua when the, when the Israelites first crossed the Jordan River. As they were crossing and they passed through, God said to Joshua, hey, send 12 people, 12 guys, one from each of the tribes to go grab a stone from the river and to set that stone on the bank. And it says those 12 stones remained there, piled up. And like, why? So every time they passed that way, they would see these stones and remember, God moved. God brought us through these waters. And whatever, whatever we're going through, God will be faithful to carry us through again. We see this in the Psalms. I, I think of Psalm 77, uh, and this is from the New Living Translation. And, and really, really what this is all about is reframing our thoughts. How are we reframing our thoughts? What are we focusing our thought life on? What are we thinking in our minds? Because the psalmist, in the beginning of it, he's, he's thinking all kinds of questions about who is God and, and what is he? Has God left me? He says this, starting in verse 7, he says, Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never be kind to me again? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And then he reaches the depth of his despair in the psalm. He says, and I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. And yet he couldn't have been further from the truth. But yet he was allowing his thoughts to frame his perspective. He was allowing his thoughts, to, to these lies to come into his head to question the nature of who God is. And then he says this in verse 11. He says, but then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. So what thoughts are we allowing, church, to frame our perspective on this season? And to rebuild with confidence in God, we have to remember the past, constantly rehearsing God's faithfulness. I think about, uh, we moved here to town about a year ago. And uh, so about 10 years ago, almost a decade ago, we moved from State College to Williamsport. 
And we had no idea how it was going to turn out. We had no idea. Like, I, I, I've had a job here, but like, should I quit my job and get another job? So we were looking for all of these houses and, and, and trying to find a house on a, a teacher's salary I was teaching at the time. And yet God brought us through. And it was just like he, at the right time, we, we actually were up in, in Williamsport for a picnic, weren't really planning to see houses. And we get a call, a phone call at the picnic, picnic from our, our real estate agent and said, hey, a house just came on the market this morning. I think you should go see it. And we just happened to be there at the right time and the right moment. And that ended up being the house that we lived in. God came through. Fast forward 10 years and we're moving again. It's like in the middle of a pandemic from Williamsport, if you know anything about the housing market, Williamsport houses there, it's like, well, about, about half the equity of what houses are here, the value. It's like, how is this going to work out? And I could have been like the psalmist and being like, okay, has God forgotten about us? And the struggles as we're looking at house after house, oh, I can't afford it. Oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Or do I remember what he has done and say, you know what? He made a way. He provided for us in the past. I believe he's going to provide for us here and now. Reframing our thoughts, remembering the past, rehearsing God's faithfulness, and rehearsing his faithfulness that we put our confidence in him and not our abilities. So that's point number one. So moving forward, verse 34. So he says this. He says, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So back into the context here of Hebrews, like what was going on in their lives? So they were facing oppression. They were facing struggle. And then how did they respond to their current situation? Did they respond? You know, like what he chooses to point out and how they responded was their otherworldly acts of confession, or not confession, of compassion, He's like, not only are you just loving and caring for your own, but you are going out to prisons and loving graciously those who the world has cast out. And maybe they were going there to visit some other Christian believers, but I, I believe because, because of the, the example that we had, that he's going to say, remember the compassion that you had for those in prison, that it wasn't just their friends, but they were going and they visit a friend and then see that, that oh, hey, there's, there's murderers or thieves or whoever the world has locked up, and they're, they're loving and compassionate on all. Now, this is Aiden's subtext. This is actually isn't in the text, so take that with a grain of salt for what it is, but that's, what, I believe, the heart of what they had because of what I see in the next words, that they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. So if they're joyfully accepting the plundering of their property, how, their compassion must have been up there with the same type of level. That's my thinking. So joyfully accepting the plundering of your property. i got to stop and think about that too. How often has my property been plundered? Okay, maybe I feel like there was a kid that might have took one of my toys when I, when I was younger. Maybe. Uh, not very often. More often, it's me like, okay, uh, someone asks if they can borrow something. It's like, hey, can I borrow that tool? Sure, go ahead. I'm thinking in the back of my mind, like, do I trust this person? Are they going to give it back to me? You know, what an attachment that we have, or at least that I have, and has been working on through generosity and giving. Like, how do I let go of the grip in my life? that material things have. Maybe that's where this hat comes into play. I almost feel like it represents material things in our lives, right? Dollar bill on the front, golden shiny. How often does the grip of material things in our life just hold us hostage 
and not let us be free to have confidence in God that he will provide, that he will give. And what does he say? The, the author here says that what, how could they do this? How could they joyfully accept plundering of their property? Well, they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. So what we have to do is we have to realize the difference between what's temporary and what's eternal, like what Pastor Aaron was talking about last week. Realizing what's eternal and valuing those abiding possessions. Right, this change in our values, change in our values from what's temporary, what we have, that we could joyfully say, you know what, that doesn't matter. They can take whatever they want from me, but they cannot take what abides and what lasts forever. And, and this to me, I see in here in this scripture what a friend of mine in Williamsport, um, he was a chaplain, and he said, you know what, Aiden? He, he's from the South. I said, you know what, Aiden? Had a southern drawl. He said, faith's like a three-layer cake. His name's Neil. I was like, Neil, what do you mean? Faith's like a three-layer cake. I said, well, you start with belief. You got to step into faith in Christ and you believe in him. All right, I'm going to stop the accent. But you got to step into faith and believe. And that's what we see with these, um, the, who the author is writing to. This church, they said they were, you were enlightened. They put their faith in Christ. So they made that first step into faith. They said, but they didn't stop there, right? The end of this verse, it says, you knew you had a better possession. They knew in their heart, they trusted God. They trusted him with their whole heart to the extent where they could let go of earthly things. So that's the second layer of the cake. So we step into, we step into belief. And the second layer of faith is then trusting that God is who he says he is, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And then the outflow of that, the top layer of the cake is obedience. And that's what we see is their obedience to Christ by having compassion on those in prison. Obedience to Christ by joyfully accepting the plundering of their property. And so we see right here this, 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 this layering of faith isn't just, isn't just like, okay, I believe, and we're done. But it's God working his love into our hearts to the point where it just overflows into a life that looks like Christ. So we're realizing what's eternal. We're valuing these abiding possessions instead of our temporary possessions. So the question for this is like, what are, we, what are we holding on to? What are we holding on to? But to rebuild with confidence in God, we're gonna have to let go of some things that are temporary in order to grab a hold of what God has that's abiding and permanent and eternal for us and focus on those things. Let's move on. So he says this in verse 35. He says, therefore... Therefore, like right now in this current situation that they find themselves in, he says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence because it has a great reward. So church, the same thing that he said to that church, I think he seems to say to us, therefore, don't throw away our confidence in God and what he can do. Remember the past. Hold on to what's eternal. Don't throw away your confidence. He says, for you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And so, so that when you've done the will of God, you're like, okay, so I'm thinking about this. So, so endurance so that we can do the will of God. What is the will of God? And I think about Jesus and uh, how John captures his mission statement that, that the mission of Jesus was to seek and to save the lost. Like, does our heart burn with that? Is that what we're enduring to do? Or is it like, I'm just trying to get through another day? Or are we enduring to say, no, we're on mission with Christ to seek and to save the lost? I think about the Great Commission where he says, go to all the world and make disciples. So think, are we enduring so that we can be a disciple who makes disciples? 
that make disciples, that make disciples, to see the church growing and expanding, the kingdom of God advancing. Is that what we're enduring for? And I think of uh, um, our, our district superintendent, Nate Howard, who puts it this way, that there is no viral church planting movement without prayer and fasting. So are we to the point where we are we're saying, yes, Lord, we're going to commit to this. We're going to pray. We're going to fast to see your kingdom move here and now. Don't throw away your confidence. We need to endure for the will of God. So he says this, and verse 37 says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. And this is the third point here, that as Christians, he's saying it right here, that we know the future, that Christ will come. And that knowing that Christ will come, that's another way that we place our confidence fully in God, that he's got this figured out. Whether or not we see the things work out in this world the way that we want them to, whether or not it, you know, politically, whether things work out the way that we feel like it should, Christ is still on the throne. He is still coming back. He is still returning. Whether or not we feel the church is under attack from all different sides, Christ is still on the throne. He is returning. Do we have our confidence in that, or do we have our confidence in fighting out our own things right here and now? Not that we shouldn't fight for what we believe in, but is that what our confidence is in? Is it in ourselves and our ability to form strong arguments to, to prove what it is that we know? Is that what Paul did when he said, you know, I didn't come with strong arguments. I preached Christ and him crucified. Do we take that posture? So knowing the future, Christ will come. And I think there's another side to this as well. That, that's all about urgency, because he says he will come and he will not delay. So going back to like, have we done the will of God? Are we on mission with Christ? Do we have that sense of urgency that, that knowing that Christ will come should put in our hearts of like, Christ will come. There's an urgency that we need to go and to love, to be ambassadors for Christ. So do we have this sense of urgency? He's coming. And then we're concluding up this, this part of the scripture here with these last two verses. And this is really about our identity. He's encouraging us to, and this is the last point, to live our identity, that we are those who have faith, that we have faith in Christ. This reminds me of another story uh, of myself. When I was in sixth grade, um, of, of putting confidence in myself, uh, I was uh, a somewhat musical kid, and when I was in sixth grade, my elementary teacher, she, she, she picked out, elementary music teacher, picked out five or six kids uh, who had maybe more musical aptitude or whatever so that they could uh, come down to her music room once a week to practice something special that they would then perform uh, at the end of the school year. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. She said, hey, Aiden, I, you've got some talent. I want you to come do something for, you know, you, you'll get to come down and work on it all year long, and then we'll have you at the spring concert play or do or whatever. And so I had a friend, and she, she, she learned a song, and she sang a song. Uh, she sang, Someday My Prince Will Come. And then I had to dance with her as the prince. That was kind of, as a sixth grader, that was like, oh my gosh, I have to do what? Ugh. But I did it. So I'm like, okay, I can stand there and dance. My other friend, he played trombone, and so he learned an extra, a special piece on trombone, and he played that at the concert. And she said, well, what do you want to do, Aiden? I was like, I don't know. I was like, well, I've been taking piano lessons, so maybe something with that. And so she's like, well, how, how about the organ? And I was kind of easygoing. And I was like, okay. So, so she gave me a piece of music. Of, of She's like, well, what song do you want to learn? I was like, I don't know. Really, really decisive kid. Really, 
kind of carries through in my adult life too. It's like, I don't know, whatever. And so she gives me the piece of music um, somewhere over the rainbow. And so you know, all year long, you know, one day a week I go down and I kind of play a little bit. I was like, okay, I got this. It's going to be fine. And then, but we more often, you know, kids, they just goof off. So we spent the time goofing off, confident in my own abilities. Like, I'll pull this together. I'll pull this together. Day of the concert comes. And so I would kind of nervously walk up to the organ, and I'm like, it's like this little electric old thing, and sit down and kind of start. Da, 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 da. Start again. Da, 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 da. And I kind of like hack my way through the first minute or two. And I think it was totally like the grace of God. The whole organ just like shuts down. <laughs> And the music, like, I could hear it playing really quietly through the speakers. It must have blown a fuse for the main speakers. So I was like, well, I can still hear it. So I, I just kept playing. I was like, I sound a whole lot better now. <laughs> and, and, and then so, and the, and the audience doesn't hear anything. My dad still has this on a VHS, like, silence of me sitting there pushing keys for, like, a minute and a half. <laughs> and so then I get up, and they applaud, and I take a little awkward bow, and then I walk off the stage. And then after the, after the concert was over, I think it was the superintendent of the principal, she walked up, and he's like, well, after the sound quit out, I didn't hear any mistakes at all. <laughs> it's like, uh, thanks. <laughs> so, but again, an example of putting my own confidence in my, I mean, as a sixth grader, how was I, 11 or 12 years old, thinking, you know what, I can fake it. I can fake it until that moment comes to realize, I can't do this. You know, up in front of people and just, just embarrassed of, of trying to put trust in myself that I could make this happen, and I couldn't. So, again, the grace of God, the speaker's cut out. So, are we, are we living by confidence in ourselves, or are we living with faith and confidence in God? And this is what he said in verse 39. He says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So how do we live by faith? How do we preserve our soul? Well, it's that, I think it's that, that three-layer cake that my friend Neil told me about of the first step is belief, putting trust, putting faith, faith in Christ, stepping into faith and saying, you know what, I may not have all the answers, but God, I know you're doing a work in my heart, and I believe you. I believe that you've died for my sins. And maybe that's the step for you this morning. And come and talk to one of the prayer folks afterwards or talk to one of the pastors here to talk more about that. It's a step of belief. Maybe, maybe it's a step of trusting that second layer of saying, you know what, God? I don't know how this situation is going to work out in my life, but I am going to choose to trust in you. I'm going to choose to rehearse in my mind. Maybe you don't even have experiences where you feel like God has come through. Then I'm going to look to the Bible and see the whole history, millennia, two millennia of God's promises that have come through to his children and look at the truths of the Bible and say, look, he did it for them. He can do it for me. He did it for them. He can do this for you. To trust, to trust he is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he's going to do, that he's going to carry us through this or maybe it's that third step of obedience, that there's something that he's calling you to, this whisper in your ear and there's a tug on your heart that says, you know what, this, this is what I'm calling you. Maybe it's, maybe it's a thing to step out in faith to do, to love, to pray, to step out and say, you know what, I trust you so much that I'm gonna step into this belief, to, to this obedience of what you're calling us to do? What, are we, what is God calling us as a church to do? And I think there's, there's, there's two main things. 
Um, well, three main things, I guess. We'll add one to it. Um, and, and this really, actually, this comes from Front Yard Mission. If you're not familiar with Front Yard Mission, it's a, it started here locally um, uh, out of Calvary, but the, also the, the city churches are, are stepping behind it. And how are we reaching the people that God has placed around us. It might be your neighbors, it might be coworkers, it might be, you know, family, if you knew, whoever is in your spheres of influence. How are we being an ambassador of Christ to these people who may be far from him but are right beside us? And the first thing they say is to, to pray first. And this is what Pastor Aaron was talking about last week about um, praying247.org. Are we as a church committed to praying? Like I said, um, our, our district superintendent says there's no move, viral move of God for church planning that is not rooted in prayer and fasting. So this is the work. This is the work of the church to pray. So we encourage you to sign up for a spot, to commit to pray. Maybe it's not just one hour. Maybe it's, a, you know, what, what does it look like for you to pray, to fast about what God would do to rebuild in confidence and what he's gonna do? We need to pray. So pray often is, is one of the front yard mission things. The second thing they say is, is to, to love all. And that's, that's just taking real acts of, of, of kindness, of compassion, of love to whoever he's placed around us, whether or not they look like you or they talk like you or they, they believe the same things as you. It doesn't matter. Are we, are we loving often whoever God has put in our path? And then the third part that they say is to invite, invite, invite. Are we inviting people into our lives? Are we inviting people uh, into our church? Are we inviting people into a relationship with Christ to really truly be on mission, to do the will of God? So let me encourage you folks, uh, family, to, to think through what is God, what is, he, what is he calling you to do? What does it look like for you to rebuild in confidence in him that he is gonna move, that he wants to do something? He wants to do something through you. He wants to do something in you through prayer and he wants to do something through you to rebuild, to build the kingdom of God, to advance that here in State College. So if God is stirring in your heart today, then uh, you know, I'm gonna follow with what Pastor Aaron's done in the last two weeks of inviting people to come forward, to invite you to, you know, if, God's, if you feel like God's saying, you know what, I, I, there is a confidence that maybe I've placed in myself and I wanna repent of that and put my confidence in you. Or maybe it's a, you know, I feel like I just have no confidence. I have no confidence. It's not in me. It's nothing. I just don't, I don't have confidence in you to say, like, I'm going to repent of that, and I want to declare to God that I have confidence in you and your abilities. So we invite you uh, to come down, uh, to come forward, to, to just to, as we had a posture of receiving, to receive from him uh, what he would want to do in our hearts in this moment. So would you turn with me and would you pray? And let's pray together. And again, you can just come down whenever, whenever if you want to, and join me down here. So God, we, we thank you that there is a whole history of the way that you have moved and the way that you have, have carried your people through times of trial and suffering, times of being up against a wall and not seeing a way through. And yet you said to Moses, you, you only need to be silent. May we come and be silent before you and have our confidence fully in you. God, so I was saying, like, if our confidence is in ourselves, God, we confess. We confess our own pride, our ability to think that, that we can figure it out or we can muscle our way through or we can just make things happen when here it's your place, God, to direct and to guide. 
God, we confess that there, there, there are times that we have not been confident in, in you and what we, we've shrunk back. That we need to remember who we are, remember our identity in Christ, that we are not those who shrink back, but we are those who have faith. May we remember our identity of who you've created us to be, who you've called us to be. And in that confidence of who you say we are, would we step out in faith? So God, I pray for just an outpouring of your spirit, because I think that's what it is right there, that identity, knowing our identity, believing that we are who you say you are, that we are sons and daughters of the most high God. It doesn't mean that everything's gonna work out perfectly all the time, or that you're just gonna solve all our problems or, or provide everything that, that for every little detail that we need, but we, God, we trust you things don't look the way that we want them to, that you have a greater purpose and a greater plan, that we don't focus on a future that we don't know, but we focus on, on who you are and, and what we have right now in you, in Christ. So God, I pray by the Holy Spirit that you would speak to us, that you would remind us who we are. Come, Spirit. Speak to your, your children are listening our confidence in you.